Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Final hour of the show, live from the Akchin Community Studios. Kellen Olson in for Wolf today. It is the Wolf and Luke show. I got to say, Kellen, three hours has flown by right now doing the show with you. We should do this like a little more often than uh, this being the first time ever. Me too, buddy. This is fun. And now I'm going to allow you to explain. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) I did it once. I got to do it twice. Now, this is the, the difficulty of this. You basically are explaining a PowerPoint presentation without the PowerPoint. Everyone listening, stick with me. We're going to go along for a ride. There's going to be information that you'll like at the end of it, I promise, but just stick with me here. Well, so I don't know about that. I, I don't know if I came out feeling better or worse about the Cardinals draft earlier when we did this. You'll like the information that I give, though. You'll learn something. Okay. I think you'll learn something. It'll when be educational. What I have to say. Okay. Yes. So what I did was the Cardinals have these three needs that we've been looking at and talking about on the show. Wide out, edge rusher, slash defensive end, however you want to call it, and then corner. The Cardinals have their first, second, third round picks. They're in the back half of the first round. So I wanted to look and like, okay, if there is a wide receiver corner and defensive end available in the first round and they're all like evaluated just about the same, is there a reason to take one here, there? I was curious. So I dove back through the last 10 drafts that I, that I counted, which was I wasn't including 20 or 21 because those are pretty recent. Some players are still developing along. Here, let me so interrupt for a second. This is how I'm approaching it as I listen to you, okay? Correct. The three positions you just identified. In my mind, as you're talking, I'm thinking, is there a way the Cardinals can address all three of these in the first three rounds? So basically trying to take the information you're about to give and say, what what is the end result of this? Is there a way where, like you said, if you could take any of them in the first round, is there a reason to kind of wait on one because you might not be able to get them in the second or third? Just anything to learn. I'm not saying you're going to come away from this and say, don't take a white out in the first round, but you're going to learn something along the way and, and a point there. So what I did was in those 10 drafts from 2010 to 2019, I looked at the back half of rounds one through three. So we're talking 17 to 32 of each of those three rounds, basically. And we're going through their range. So again, if there is a pro bowler that we're talking about in the start of the second round, he doesn't apply because he wasn't really in the Cardinals range. I looked at the pro bowlers at those three positions and saw if there were any trends over that 10-year span. And there were. There were 16 pro bowl wideouts across those 10 drafts in those parts of the draft. Only three of them were in the back half of the first round. Ten, I'm sorry, nine were in the back half of the second round. And then another four in the back half of the third round. Four is pretty high for the third round because as you're about to learn with the other two positions, that hasn't really been happening for those spots. At edge rusher, we've got nine guys, six in the first, two in the second, only one in the third, and that holds up again under corner where we've got eight of the 11 pro bowlers in those ranges. Eight of them were in the back half of the first round, only two in the back half of the second, and only one in the back half of the third. So what I gathered from this is that if you've got like I said, a wide receiver, an outside linebacker, and you're looking at those three spots over these three rounds, wide receiver is probably the one to wait on, which is really interesting, Luke, because of the names that we've talked about today and going through the guys that could be available at that spot, there's probably a wide receiver or two there in the first round that's going to be more interesting, perhaps, because those defensive ends, Gambo's report coming in yesterday, they might have to trade up for one of those guys, one of those five guys to get him. Because there's a drop-off. There's a significant drop-off at edge after the first Five, maybe even four guys, depending who you talk to. And then at corner, it seems like there's a pretty solidified top three, and then there's a drop after that. Now, there's a drop at wide receiver, too, but there are still a couple wide receivers that have first-round grades for a lot of people in that range. But 
What this is telling me is that you can get some value later on a wideout in rounds two and three, where a premium position like corner, for example, you've got guys like Tredavis Wade, Jair Alexander, Marcus Peters. Like Those are some of the best cornerbacks we've seen in the league in the last 10 years, and they went in the back half of the first round still. So there's some value there, I think, for sure at, at corner. But to your point, Luke, when we talked about this earlier, okay, so we're talking about Byron Murphy. He's young. Marco Wilson, he's young. This rookie's going to be young. Gladney's young. Yeah. That, that's that's too many young guys. So, so th- and that's where you run into a problem with talking about this at all, right? Well, no. I mean, I think I think it, it actually illustrates it pretty well. First of all, I took more notes when you were talking than I did uh, all four years at ASU. <laughs> and uh, and so now I have these numbers, which I'm going to use when you're not here and steal them as my own. Go Devils. Um, <laughs> Plagiarism, folks. It works. You can get a degree that way. I set you up me. there. It's not fair. C's get degrees. Don't forget that if you're listening and you're in high school right now. Um, cornerback... <laughs> No, forget that. Don't, no, because oh, I got season. I got it. Well, and look right at now, you're sitting here right now talking about whatever we're talking about with uh, with edge rushers. <laughs> no, okay. So look, I mean, corner. That that's my concern with corner. Like as you as you have this conversation, my thought is you almost have to go edge in the first round if you're the Cardinals because you can't afford a project because you haven't done anything in free agency. So you now have to hit in the draft, and you have to hit on a guy that's going to play this year because you are built to win this year. Otherwise, good luck explaining to J.J. Watt, eh, we're going to push it down a couple years. Like, (laughs) cool, okay. Uh, Why did I come here then? So you're trying to win this year, so you have to hit on a guy that's going to play right out of the gate, basically. And ideally, you want to do that in the first round anyway, but you're not picking top 10. You're picking number 23. And the positions you're talking about right there, they have glaring holes like in the starting lineup, especially at wide receiver and edge. I, I don't know that they're going to take a corner because they seem so high on Gladney. And you know maybe you take one in the third round, but to your point with the, the, the research you just did, that might not really help you down the line. And specifically to them, you have three young corners. I would prefer like a corner that's played in the league a little bit that can step in and play the first few weeks if Gladney isn't great. And if Gladney is, then fine. He passes that guy and the vet becomes your depth guy. So the long and short of that is just based on what you just said. And I know it's a little bit different every year based on needs, but that to me paints a picture of go edge in the first round, go wide receiver in the second round. But will that edge guy be there? And if he's not, can you trade up to get him? And should you trade up to get him? This is a... This is a challenging draft for them to handle because they have got to get at least one of these three picks. They have got to get a guy that's going to help them this year at one of those three spots right now. Now, there could be more time one-year wonders in free agency coming, but for now, they haven't in free agency. So we're looking at these three spots as a really big need. You and I share the opinion that we need to see Gladney be a starter before we pencil him in there all of a sudden and have him as that guy right You can't just hope a guy's going to be good and that, that that's, doesn't just make him good. Like You can't just hope, okay, Zayvon Collins, we think he's going to be good. We think Gladney's going to be good. We think this rookie that we're drafting at this position is going to be good. So that's going to make it so we hope Rondale Moore is the number two receiver. I mean, if you hit on two of those four, that's great, except you right now as you're currently constructed have to hit on all four of those four. Like, Do I even know Gladney's going to be better than Robert Alford? No, I have no idea. And And if we're even talking about that kind of outline for the corners last year, we saw how Byron Murphy got exposed in the second half of the season. He His play really declined, and that was one of the unfortunate developments and many unfortunate developments for them in the second half of the season. But 
the edge is where I really like it. I, I'm, I'm with you there. And again, if we're talking 16, sec, 17, and Karloftis or, or someone else is there, Johnson falls there, maybe you get there, sure. Uh, you're going to have to go like top three or four to get Thibodeau or Hutchinson. I don't think that's going to happen. Walker is the other name that Gamble reported. It seems like from at least mock drafts, again, they're mock drafts, uh, 10 or 12, we'll see. My hope here as the Cardinals fan is that one of those guys just slips and they're able to get there. And that happens a lot more than we, we sit here and talk about mock drafts and where guys are supposed to go all the time. We just talked about Desmond Bain from Memphis, for example, on the Grizzlies a, a, another segment ago. And he's a guy who's supposed to go top 15, 20. He slides to 30. It happens all the time across all sports and every draft. So if McDuffie, the corner from Washington slips. If Olave, the wide receiver out of Ohio State slips, there are guys who could fall. Like it's conceivable to me. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to pass on Chris Olave if he's there Whew. at twenty three, and maybe you don't. But I mean, again, now you're looking at a wide receiver room that has DeAndre Hopkins, a rookie, and Rondale Moore. Now that rookie might end up being great if it's Chris Olave or even a couple of these other guys. This is supposed to be a wide receiver heavy draft at the top in terms of, you know, we could see some pro bowlers, but uh, we'll get more into that uh, certainly over the next few weeks. When we come back, we're going to switch gears, talk a little baseball with Diamondbacks pitcher Merrill Kelly. He joins us next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show. Kellen Olson in for Wolf on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Clubhouse Calling with Wolf and Luke. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. We are less than a week away from opening day for the D-backs. And joining us right now on the 72-sold sports line is pitcher Merrill Kelly, who just got a two-year extension. So let's start there, Merrill. Uh, thanks for the time today. How does it feel to, to be back out there, spring training, and you've got the extension? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, honestly, it feels great. The last week and a half has been kind of a whirlwind uh, just negotiating. Um, but it feels great to be home. It feels good to be able to stay here and ready to get going. Merrill, congratulations on the deal. Just with the last three years that you've had here with the D-backs, not only your comfort level with the majors, but just this team specifically, just how you felt here in the city the last three years. Yeah, definitely. It's like any place. Um, I kind of was describing it earlier. Um, you know, my first year in Korea was obviously a whirlwind, but the more you're, you know, anywhere, the more kind of comfortable you get. Um, and I think that's kind of the situation I have going right now. Um, I love my teammates. I love the staff. Um, I love everything about being here, especially being home. Um, so the fourth year going in, a lot more comfortability than I've had probably the last three years for sure. Merrill, you know, it's it's interesting nationally when, when people looked at the D-backs last year going into the season, all the talk is obviously about Madison Bumgarner because of what he's done and, and, and Zach Gallon certainly. But you were the guy. I mean, 158 innings last year. I remember this team. You were really, for the entire season, the most reliable, consistent starting pitcher they had. How was last year for you? I know team success was not what anybody wanted, but just individually. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always kind of prided myself on throwing a bunch of innings, um, and I was glad that I was able to do that last year. Like you said, 158, um, and I even missed a month with, with COVID towards the end there. Um, so I was definitely proud of that work. I was hoping to, you know, kind of bump that threshold up a little bit more, but obviously with COVID, stranger things have happened. Um, but like I said, I kind of pride myself on that, so I was I was grateful for that. Um, you know, and I think Bum and Gallon and all those guys will will bounce right back, and I think we're going to be pretty, we're, I think we're going to be a pretty good force this year. You had that first start of spring that couldn't have gone much better. Three innings, striking out eight of the nine batters. Uh, it just on two different points, just how does it feel to start a spring in that kind of way when you're a pitcher specifically working on certain things in the offseason, I'm sure, and just how did you feel on the mound afterward? 
Yeah, no doubt. Just the first game in spring, no matter how it goes, is, is obviously good to just get under the belt, whether it's you punch out eight or nine or you walk three out of five. Um, just the fact that get that one out of the way, get your feet back on the mound, get back in a game, have fans in the stands, you know, everything that goes along with playing a Major League Baseball game. Um, but just to add, obviously striking out eight out of nine definitely gave me some more confidence going through. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that that maybe led to, uh, you know, the talks on what we're talking about now with the extension. So it definitely felt good. We're talking to Merrill Kelly. Uh, Merrill, how different is this spring for a pitcher like yourself? I mean, it, does it change how you have to prepare with opening day, you know, so so quickly after everything got agreed to and we started to have a spring training? Yeah, things have ramped up definitely a little quicker than we usually get. You know, obviously pitchers and catchers get here uh, usually about a week and a half before everybody else to kind of throw our bullpens and get ready for our live BPs uh, rather than this year was pretty much day one right into live BPs. Um, But I think a lot of people did a really good job, at least from the guys that I've seen in this clubhouse. I can't speak for other teams, but uh, I think guys did a really good job of, of making sure they stayed ready throughout the lockout so that when this hit and we all this we all came to a uh, you know agreement I think it was going to happen fast and I think everyone did a good job of recognizing that that was going to go down um, so I think everybody came in I think ready to go Merrill this is pun intended but to go inside baseball here for a bit just with how you approach the offseason as a pitcher I found it really interesting after your after that start that we talked about where you struck out eight of nine that your changeup was feeling really good and that's always a pitch that you've pride yourself on and this year especially it feels good can you take us through that process as a pitcher where you have like maybe a specific pitch that you're working on and just how the changeup has felt for you so far in the last couple of months uh, yeah, I put a lot of work into it this offseason. Um, like you said, it's kind of always been the pitch that I've prided myself on. And in my opinion, it was one of the reasons why I got as far as I did in my career. Um, and in my mind, the last couple of years, it, it kind of went away. Um, it took a little vacation, I like to say. Um, it wasn't as consistent. The movement wasn't doing what I was supposed to. Um, it would kind of cut on me sometimes and do some weird things. So that was definitely an emphasis this offseason is to really nail that back um, and get it back to what I think it should be um, and just kind of be as more consistent as I can with it. Uh, I think if I have that um, it just adds to you know kind of just another tool in the toolbox um, and I think it goes a long way especially with being what type of pitch that the changeup can be. Yeah to follow up on that when you when you go through that process of having to take the vacation like you say how gratifying is that process now where the offseason work really comes into play and, and now becomes really a different weapon for you potentially this year? Yeah, it's definitely good to see. Because, um, like I said, it was my—it used to be my favorite pitch to throw, and when it did kind of go away for a little bit, you know, it's definitely frustrating, especially as a pitcher and especially as a changeup. It's such a, I guess, like a fine-tune uh, feel pitch. So, for us, when you start going down that rabbit hole of tinkering with things, you know, sometimes it gets better, but a lot of the times it gets worse. Um, so the fact that I was able to use the off-season and not have to worry about using it in competition, um, and just could really focus on how it felt and how it was spinning. And, and the action that I had on it, uh, it's definitely satisfying to see you know kind of that hard work kind of culminate into what it's looking like right now. Diamondbacks pitcher Merrill Kelly joining us here on the Wolf and Luke Show. Uh, Merrill, with the designated hitter coming to the National League this year now all the time, does that change your approach as a pitcher at all? And are, do you know any pitchers who are who are upset that they don't get to hit now? Uh, yeah, Madison Bumgarner. For one. <laughs> 
Um, you know, he was sitting at 18 homers. I think he definitely wanted to get to 20. He, he might tell you otherwise, but I think in his mind, he's he's kind of disappointed that he's not going to be able to get to 20. Or maybe he had 19. He might he might correct me on that. So I, I think I got to throw out the right number. Um, but actually, one of my buddies is listening right now. I got to give him a shout out. Um, his name is Riley Welch, uh, son of longtime major league pitcher Bob Welch, and I know he's uh, kind of pissed that he doesn't get to watch me hit anymore. But um, I'm not too mad about it. I think for me, it lets me. Focus focus on more of the game, more of the actual pitching side of the game and not have to worry about, you know, bunting, getting the bunt down and getting the guy over or where my spot is in the lineup. Um, I can just kind of pitch and then come back and focus on who I've coming up next inning and kind of game plan for, for the necessary stuff as far as the pitching-wise that I have to do. Still might need to keep the leg spry, though, for the occasional pinch running situation, perhaps. Maybe <laughs> that's still not going away. I don't know. I think that ship has sailed for me. I think <laughs> like weave and, and gallon that I think can run a little bit more than me. But, um, you know, if Tori if Tory makes that call, then I'll definitely be there to answer the bell. Um, Merrill, we've talked to a, a few players and, and just a few people involved with the organization over the last couple of weeks, and there just seems to be this theme that, that last year left a real sour taste in everybody's mouth, and you're kind of out for a little uh, revenge on the rest of the league or just kind of a little extra motivation to put last year behind you. Do, do you sense that? Do you feel that way, too? Yeah, I think so. And I think getting back to normal, you know, obviously with the COVID seasons, 20 and, you know, 21, I guess was a little bit normal, but there was still, you know, all the protocols that we kind of had to jump through, um, you know, with vaccinations and not being vaccinated and that type of thing. Um, So I think this year, the fact that a lot of our guys got hurt at the beginning of the year, I think obviously didn't help us get off to the right foot. And I think that kind of just snowballed throughout the year. Um, But I definitely think everyone in here is is for sure ready to put last year behind us. Um, You know, I don't think there was too many people in our clubhouse that were having too much fun losing 110 games. Um, And as competitors and as athletes, you know, we want to do everything in our power to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, And I think every Everybody in this clubhouse is ready um, kind of to show not only Arizona, but just the league in general that we're not the team that we showed last year for sure. Mayo, you guys in, in that league are in a really unique situation because so many athletes in the past two to three years have dealt with different things and, and, and specifically with the pandemic affecting their sport. But you guys deal with the lockout, too. So from that perspective... How great is it to just kind of not, not be focusing just on baseball because you guys always were, but to just kind of have those two different things almost behind you in a way now where you're back to not having the pandemic affecting the crowds and, and when games could be t- potentially canceled in the way that they were uh, a year or two ago. How much does that help you guys going into this year? Yeah, it's huge. You know, anytime that we have less distraction and we can focus more on baseball, it's obviously going to help. Um, you know, and like you said, with COVID and the lockout, everybody, I think, was starting to get a little antsy. Um, and, you know, when we got back in here, it was kind of like the first day of school. The fact that, you know, the gym had been locked and they put the chains on it and then finally the the chains got broken and we were able to get back in there and pick up, pick up some baseballs and, um, you know, kind of get back to work. Everybody kind of had, I think, a little bit more of a fresh, fresh air attitude coming in. Um, so everybody He's excited. Uh, I think that we can just get back to hopefully get back to normalcy and just get back to just playing baseball games. Uh, Merrill, last one for you. Three years ago today, right? That was your uh, your first major league start, correct, against San Diego? Um, I'm not even sure, to be honest. April 1st, yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. you're right. I think that was it, yeah. Well, congratulations on the new deal. Good luck this season. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thanks Merrill. That's uh, it's Merrill Kelly joining us right there on the 72 Sold Sports Line. Get your price at 72sold.com. And you can text us your thoughts on the D backs upcoming season to the FanDuel text line at 620 620 right now. 
Coming up, how important is the return of Cam Johnson for the Suns tonight? We'll get into that next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show. Kellen Olson in for Wolf on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. I think you just spoke this rejoin into existence like 10 seconds ago, didn't you? Sure did. Yeah, you did. The universe, otherwise known as Aaron Maloney, always in line. We are uh, probably going to see the Suns set the franchise record for wins tonight. If we don't see it tonight, it's going to be soon. I think we're going to see it tonight, though. I think there are, are various too. factors where I haven't felt... Let me think about. It. I, I think they're going to win almost every night, but I haven't felt this confident they're going to win. Like it takes a certain amount of things happening, and this is one team they could meet in the playoffs later. Yeah. Two. Last time they played them, they lost, and they lost in excruciating fashion, nearly at the buzzer, thanks to John Morant. And three, Memphis is sitting four starters, probably. Yeah, and Booker actually hit a what should have been a buzzer beater in that game. I mean, it wasn't tech- it was like three seconds left when he hit it, right? It was, it was under ten seconds, and then John Morant came down and hit that one with like did one, a John Morant thing. He's incredible. Yeah, he did. Don't but, have to worry about him tonight. Don't. Uh, and so what you have with the Suns tonight is yes, potentially that, and that's a big deal. I'm not trying to minimize that, but I I, I would say in the context of what they're trying to accomplish this season. The bigger deal is the likely return of Cam Johnson and JaVale McGee. And uh, Kellen, I don't even know, even with all this extensive research I did on every on their record with every player missing, that took me nearly eight minutes, uh, I don't know when the last time is they actually had their full team together. Have they ever had this full team together? I think they have for, for a game or two. That's a really great question to ask, though, because it might not be the case. Maybe a couple here and there, but I think the important thing for tonight is as listeners of the earlier segments know, probable listing for Cam Johnson and JaVale McGee means probably. Yeah. That's how you can interpret it. That's questionable. Good. You can start to question Very a little bit scientific if they're going to play approach. or not. We'll just play with the alliteration there a little bit. But if those two guys play, Luke, their second unit's back. This is big. So you've got Campaign, you've got Lady Shaman, you've got Torrey Craig, you've got JaVale McGee, you've got Cam Johnson. Those are your five guys off the bench probably in the playoffs here. And we haven't seen them get this opportunity all year. We had a running joke on the Empire of the Suns podcast where I was like, are we just going to have to watch Alfred Payton play for the rest of the season? Is someone just going to keep getting hurt so Alfred Payton has to play? He's been the only really underperforming player on this team out of everyone. And it's just one of those things where he was not supposed to play at the start of the year. Third string point guard. But then at the start of the year, they're going through a couple of different things that require him to play sort of off the ball. He's not even playing on the ball. He's playing off the ball. A guy that played on his ball the, his entire career. Now that Chris Paul's out, he was in there more on the ball. And now everyone's back, and, and what we talked about so much when Chris Paul went out, when all these injuries happened and Booker goes out too, every time it was like, okay, this is just more opportunity for other guys to get a rhythm that, surprisingly, for one of the best NBA regular seasons we're ever going to see, and certainly the best in franchise history that we're seeing right now, this was a team that had a couple of guys not really fighting their rhythm necessarily. Campaign and Landry Shamit were two of them. Campaign was phenomenal when Chris Paul was out, and Landry Shamit specifically is playing the best basketball we've seen out of him by far over the last three weeks. All those guys come together in the second unit, and uh, it should make a real big difference for them tonight if those guys play. This is, uh, to me personally, one of the biggest things is I, I just wanted to see this team fully healthy and together with a couple games to go. And they've got six games to go. Ideally, they are all just able to make it through these six games. They're all... I would... Honestly, I'd probably just play them all at this point because they haven't gotten to play together as a team very often. And I would just love to hit the uh, the first round of the playoffs 
on a roll. Now, they are on a roll. They've won nine in a row. You can't necessarily tell by their record when they have guys missing, but I think it'd be pretty nice to go into the playoffs. Everybody gets five or six games together, and then you have that week off anyway, so it's not like you're going to be playing the night before your first playoff game when you play Sacramento on Sunday, uh, next Sunday. James Jones on with Burns and Gambo Wednesday talked about the benefits and dangers of resting guys this time of year. Danger of resting is a guy gets hurt. Um, the the danger of, of resting is a guy is healthy, but he comes back and he's out of rhythm. Um, you know, you can slice it either way, but you know, when you get to the playoffs, you have to be able to play and play at a high level. Anything that you do, you do it with an eye towards can this help him uh, maintain his rhythm and. Uh, increase his ability to play a heavy dose of minutes in the playoffs. And so the balance always comes back to, you know, what does the player think is best for him in his game? And and then you, you, you roll with that. At this point, I just trust whatever move Monty Williams makes. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's become a thing on our podcast this year is like we – I doubt certain things that Monty Williams does, sure, in the moment. But the trust is always going to be there. He has done nothing to dissuade any of it. Like he's just, he's just on the ball all the time, and especially what he has done with his players, because something that he talked about when it came to these last like seven, eight games of the year, I wrote a piece, and I asked him and a couple of players about sitting out. John Drayton emphatically said, no, I don't want to sit out. I, I spent all this time out already injured, and, yeah. and everyone has manifested, Chris Paul has manifested that energy on the whole team that he always talks about where he's like, I don't know how many more NBA games I have left in my career. I'm going to play when I want to play. But Monty said, that sounds like it'll be a challenging conversation to have. And he's like, these aren't challenging conversations for me. With with Chris, he said, and, and I'm sure it's that way with everyone else on the team, where he has developed a level of trust that goes both ways. So when DeAndre wants to stay out there, even when Monty wants to pull him, he's like, okay come out but then sometimes Monty's like no you're coming out and DeAndre's like okay trust both ways so they're they have that established and that is so difficult for a coach to get with one player and Monty has it with his entire roster and it feels like the entire organization it's such an important thing for them and sounds coach of the year worthy to me Luke Lewis. yeah you know, I, know I, about I, you. I think if, if the record over the last two years hasn't been enough and what he has done managing injuries yeah I would, I would say let's go ahead and give him coach of the year for that just give him coach of the year for whatever reason you're going to give it to him um, it would almost feel unnatural if the Suns sat players at this point. And I know that you know there's different strategies and philosophies for how to manage your team this time of year, and I know a lot of teams, the majority of them, do go down that path of, okay, let's rest guys as much as we can. You know, I'm not a doctor. I would assume that the Suns at least were careful not to rush anybody back from injury. And and I don't know that you can go to Chris Paul if he feels like he's ready and say, no, go ahead and sit a couple more games. But I just think in general, maybe even with Cam Johnson, it was like, okay, how about maybe you're ready to come back and just give it like another game or two. Let's make sure we're as careful as possible with that stuff. But now that they're all back, it, it would feel weird outside of maybe that Sacramento game, that last game of the season. It would feel weird if if, you know, three games from now, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson are resting. Not that it would be wrong. And like I said, I'll trust whatever Monty Williams does. He's earned that at this point. But it just wouldn't feel like the Suns. Can I tell you something to watch out for in the next five or six games that yes. a lot of people are talking about? Suns have two two guys on two ways right now. Uh, Ish Wainwright, and they recently brought in Ife Lundberg. They've got Alfred Payton at the end of the roster. He is like the one guy on the roster. I mean, if you want to talk yourself into Frank Kaminsky, I'm not going to be that person at all as someone that they could cut potentially for one of those two two-way guys to make it on the playoff roster, which is what I'm talking about, because those guys at the end of the regular season, they're gone unless they create a new roster spot. 
for them. That is something to watch over these five or six games. I think Ish Wainwright has come in and been solid every single time he's been put in a game, and he has just been a great worker, a great personality behind the scenes, and just fits like a glove with these guys. But Alfred Payton is just as hard of a worker. The Javon Cord- Javon, Cord- Javon Carter word. I almost made it without screwing up someone's name. Four hours in. Now we have to start over. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, and welcome to the... The Javon Carter Award for me is the award I give out to the Suns player I see working the most after, after, after practice is over. Alfred Payton is that guy on this team, and that surprises a lot of people because he's the guy that's not playing that well, but he works his butt off. So he's in that group, too. He gets along great with these guys, but I think Ish Wainwright particularly is a guy that you want to look at and say, like, you might have someone here who could actually be a rotation player at one point in their career. He's a little bit older, but he's just getting started in the NBA. We haven't seen Lundberg play, so I can't say, but those guys are going to to get minutes here in some of these games and it could wind up mattering for those guys in terms of if they're on the playoff roster or not. That's something on the radar that not a lot of people are talking about and those guys, it would take some devastating injuries for those guys to actually play playoff minutes, but it could wind up mattering in the long term, specifically with guys like Lundberg and and Wainwright who have legitimate long term uh, potential potentially just to be in the NBA and, and be someone who deserves to be on a roster and someone who another team could go grab instead. Um, Real quick here before we hit the break. With Cam Johnson specifically, and you can't give me the simple answer of, well, look how many points he scores. What are you looking for uh, when you watch him now in these next couple games because he's coming back from injury and because he is such a big part of, of this team's potential success in the playoffs? Is there anything you're looking at and saying, okay, if he's doing this, I feel good that he's 100% back, or if he's doing this, I'm a little bit worried? You know I'm a very sarcastic person, Luke Lipinski. No. I promise I'm not being sarcastic okay. here. Running. He just needs to be running up and down the court. He needs to get his conditioning going, and that's the most important thing for him over this stretch here, that he needs to get down because the playoffs are an entirely different beast, and you just lose some of that momentum. Like I, I could sense Cam was like still like a little frustrated when we talked to him a couple of days ago when we were talking to him, and you think about it, it's like, he was playing the best basketball of his life, and then he has to sit out. Now he has to ramp up again, and he was already like in playoff shape at, during that Knicks game. Like He was already there, and now he's got to do all that work again. It can be a frustrating thing, and that's obviously, I'm just speaking for him on, on that point. He could, could have been thinking about something else, but with that in mind, that work for him over the next two weeks is important. Chris Paul has told us after every game like he's still getting his win back, and, and his win is different for other people's win, but he's talking about... I'm playing 42 minutes in the Western Conference Finals Game 6 after I've been averaging 37 a game over the playoffs. That type of win that he needs, and he needs to get that, and Cam Johnson needs to get that. So running, Luke Lipinski, that's just what I will be watching for. Just him going up and down the court. How he's going? Not the answer I expected, but yet you made it make sense. Wow, what a compliment. All right, we come back. It was a busy week around sports. We'll take you through everything that happened. Everything? Everything that happened next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, here we go. Final segment of the week, Kellen. So you're in here for this. It's the uh, the work week wrap up, and it's going to move quickly. Are you ready for this? If the listeners are ready, are you guys ready, listeners? Monday. That's how quickly it moves. Whoa. Uh, we'll start with the Cardinals signing a guard, Will Hernandez. He joined us right after that to talk about it. Hey, I want whatever they want to throw at me. Um, I don't have any preference. I'm not picky. I just want to whatever it is, do it well, and uh, do it do it hard. 
Yes. He's not Josh Jones. That's a good thing. <laughs> Next. <laughs> you are going to go really quick. All right. Look at the runner by Sudanga. The pitch, and that's a shot. Hit deep to center. Bellinger on the run out there, and it's gone. Two-run shot for Peralta's tied the ball game at two. That ball just kept carrying. Hey, spring is great. Do it in the regular season. <laughs> I love, imagine if everything is like I this. love this format where you just respond with one quick uh, sentence. David Peralta is a really important piece of their team coming up this year. I think he's often been underrated, but this is a year where he really needs to be that guy with his OPS maybe getting in the 800 range. And he's hitting everything in spring. One more from Monday. Keller back center point to Gostas Bear. Again to Keller, top of the right circle. Keller, backhand pass, left circle to Kessel. Kessel, top of the left circle. Now looking into the middle. Cross ice, right circle, Keller, front tip, they score! Keller! 28th goal of the season for Clayton Keller there. He was a guy that was, you know, great rookie season, really good rookie season. Trended the wrong way for a couple years, I would say. Not that he was bad, but just not consistent, not really putting it all together. Put it all together this season. Yeah, I think that as a local sports fan, the team that I supported maybe the most was actually the Coyotes before I started working here. And and watching Clayton Keller, you and I have had constant conversations at the office about his up and down, but this is a huge positive development to see him actually playing like the guy that John Chica paid way too much money for yeah. way too much money for and paying that uh, playing that way after he got paid way too much which is not always common tuesday all right so tuesday cliff kingsbury talked about his wide receiver room at the nfl league meetings i'm excited to see you know rondell morrison kid we drafted last year really explosive player we didn't play him as much as we probably should have because we had so much depth at the position to start but he's the guy who's really going to step up deandre and then we'll see you know what other additions we make but those two guys can really play I don't, I'm not sure if I buy that this is now going to be year two. He's going to be able to step up as a competent number two. We really need to see that other name. Yeah, we talked about it a ton today. Like They need to add another guy so Rondale Moore can be in a better place because I don't think he's actually going to be in a better place if they come in together with him being their number two. I don't think it's going to work like that for him. Yeah, I feel like that slides everybody into a position where they all have to be, they all have to hit their ceiling for the Cardinals to compete. Whereas if you could bring in a legit number two, Rondale Moore all of a sudden becomes a, a real dangerous weapon. Uh, Mike Fitzgerald talking about the signing of Cattell Marte. We need more Cattell Martes. We don't need fewer of them, right? So, so a chance to, to ensure that we have Cattell here for a while um, as a player that can contribute to the type of teams that we want to have going out competing each year for playoff spots. And, and that's, you know, Cattell's going to be a big part of that. I mean, he was out of this world in 2019. His OPS, I just had to look it up, 981. That is insane. I mean, you're talking about him just hitting the 800s and you're getting back to more of the guy that you're seeing. Yeah. But he was just arguably the best hitter in baseball that year. And that is the talent that we're talking about. I love the D-backs committing to him. Yes, it is a no-brainer, but just retaining that premium young talent you have without needing to rant about it is important. Luke. I feel like there's some subtext in what you're saying right there. Uh, but no, Cattell Marte that year, I think it was 329, 32 home runs, if I remember right. I mean, that's we're not talking about 14 years ago. We're talking about two and a half, really weird, albeit, years ago. But uh, but still, if he gets anywhere near that, that's your path back to being relevant in the playoff race in the National League is Cattell Marte and, and Zach Gallon. That's where it starts. Uh, also on Tuesday, J.J. Watt posted a video of himself working out, but 
camera seemed to be more more uh, focused on the guy behind him because it was Kyler Murray. But, 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 but. That was the narration by J.J. Watt right there. That's my quarterback getting in work when no one's paying attention, baby. I love it. Do you, Kyler? Uh, NFL, new overtime rules for the playoffs. Here's Swagoo. This reeks of everybody gets a turn. Poor babies. <laughs> they need to get the ball, too. It should be. E- it, it is equal. When you put your 11 on defense and they put their 11 on offense, that's an equal playing field. Mm. It's your job to stop them. I don't know if I have a reaction to that. I know it's my job to have a reaction. You do, to that, but, but it, it was just, a like, facial reaction. That threw me for a loop completely. What? Yeah. Well, look. Aside from what he just said, we talked about this a lot on this show this week. I don't understand why they're not just actually taking Wolf's idea of the the home team gets the ball to start overtime. That way, you can plan for it. Both teams can plan for it in the fourth quarter. It involves some strategy. If you're the road team, you're like, okay, we can't really play for the tie. We got to go for it. I, I don't understand why or how what they just did helps because it just extends overtime. My hottest take of the of the day: ties are kind of all right. They're kind of tight. It's okay. Ties are fine every now and then. You like soccer, don't you? Yep, love right. it. Uh, Paul George back for the Clippers. So good. I mean, but um, honestly, I was well prepared coming into tonight. I shouted out the guys that was working with me through. You know, when those guys were playing games and those guys was on the road. You know, I was at Honey Training Center grinding, um, trying to get back and, and get back healthy and get in shape. I'm not worried about the Clippers, but I'm keeping an eye on the Clippers. Oh, it, that is a scary thought. I think Kawhi being away for so long let us forget that that's the guy who was in the conversation for being the best basketball player on the planet at the peak of his powers. That is a scary thought. Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, Zach Gallen pitched and uh, looked pretty good. It was coming out pretty good. Um, delivery felt pretty good. Everything was, was kind of there for strikes. Just the one back foot slider to Hilliard. It's probably about the only pitch I'd like to you know, be able to execute again. But other than that, I felt pretty good with how it went out there. Now, same day, Bruce Arians retiring from coaching. A number of people have already asked, why are you stepping away from the chance to go to Hall of Fame and win another Super Bowl? Because I don't get about the Hall of Fame. Secession is way more important to me. This has been my dream for a long time. Guys that know me, they knew I wanted one of my guys to take over. What audio of Bruce Arians cursing? I never I expected know. it to be it's played. When you said footage. Bruce Arians, I was like, he's cursing somewhere in this. Boom. <laughs> Love B.A. Uh, Monty Williams after tying the franchise record for wins. Well, I told our guys, you know, we win pretty, we can win ugly. The bottom line is we just, we win. And to be able to, you know, win that game and tie the franchise record says a lot about what our players commit to every single day. And then that night, one of the worst injuries I've seen in person, Clayton Keller. Coyotes head athletic trainer, Dave Zanova. Runs out on the ice to attend to Clayton Keller, who's still down on his left side. Uh, he's hurting and tried to drop that shoulder drive to the net, and unfortunately, it just looked like he went in knee first, really awkwardly. That play always has the potential to be one of the scariest plays in hockey when you're going full speed at the net because the wall is not that far behind the net. And we so. just get reminders every now and then of how dangerous these sports are, and, and that was one of those plays where he just he had no no shot. Yeah, to really saving himself. It was brutal. It wasn't like a dirty hit or anything. The whole no. arena just went silent. Good news is it sounds like, according to Clayton Keller, he'll be uh, he'll be good for next year. And, and more than that, just the, if he's going to be good for next season, then that is a pretty good indicator he's starting to do better now just on a personal level. Thursday. Thursday, how about Bobby Wagner going to the Rams? Five-year, $50 million deal. It's worth up to $65 million with incentives for Bobby Wagner with the Rams. No way! No! You traitor! That sounds like Wolf like stormed the press conference. Speaking for Seattle, cap space question mark? 
Does that exist in the NFL? I thought it did. Not if you're the Rams. Okay. Uh, D-backs beat the Padres 8-2 to in spring training. And then Cam Johnson got upgraded to probable. No, I mean, we're just we're just going to take it game by game and let him continue to, to, to ramp up. You know, I, I would think he'd, he'd ask for all the games. Um, he's a guy that wants to play all the time. You know, you only think one or two games ahead when you're coming back from injury. So I think after a couple of games, we'll be able to see how he feels. And that brings us to today. Friday. April Fool's Day. April Fool's! <laughs> Merrill Kelly gets the extension. He just talked to us about it earlier. Honestly, it feels great. The last week and a half has been kind of a whirlwind uh, just negotiating. Um, but it feels great to be home. It feels good to be able to stay here and ready to get going. We don't know how the back half of that rotation is really going to look. So those three guys at the top, Bumgarner, him, and, and Gallon, they, they really need to bring it. He's had three solid seasons here. He might need to have his best yet this year. And we'll go back to Eddie Johnson's take on the Phoenix Suns when people ask him about them. When I say sons, what do you think of first? Uh, we good. <laughs> really can't argue with that. All right, that was, we did it. We got through the whole week and we still had like nine seconds to spin. The room is spinning. What's happening? I like it when we get through it with seconds to spare and we can just run up the score by playing the music. It's great. Oh, such a great tune. All right, Suns going for the franchise record for wins tonight. Kellen, thanks for uh, thanks for sitting in today. This was fun. Thank you. Check ArizonaSports.com tonight for more on that Suns game. Uh, thanks to Aaron Maloney, Jesse Morrison behind the glass. For Kellen Olsen, I'm Luke Lipinski. Burns and Gambo next on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.